Well, I don't know what shows you like to watch on TV. We all have our, um, our different shows that we like to watch, and sometimes we like to admit to some of those, and sometimes we don't. I have two that I watch on a regular basis, you know, when they're on. It's kind of in the off-season right now. But uh, my favorite show would be Shark Tank. If you've seen this before, Shark Tank. I mean, here what you have is you have these entrepreneurs, they enter the tank in hopes of gaining a partner in their business. That's what they're looking for. And so they're introduced to the television audience, and then they go about making their presentation to these sharks, to these business owners, these people who have been very successful. They'll talk about their business and what they do and how they're doing it, and they'll tell about their backstory. And uh, by the time they're done, then they field questions from the sharks, and uh, they ask them all kinds of things. And depending upon the answers they receive, some of the sharks will say, you know what, I'm out, I'm out. And hopefully by the end of the segment, there'll be at least one shark that will give that entrepreneur the money they're looking for in order to be partners in that business. And once they gain a partner with one of the sharks, the course, then they, of course, partner in order to make a profit. A profit. Well, that leads to my second favorite show called... The Prophet. And in this show, uh, we have struggling businesses. Uh, people who are business owners, they're not doing well. In fact, their business might be ready even to fold. And in desperation, they contact Marcus Lemonis, that's the guy right there, in hopes that he'll see potential in what they're doing and maybe save them. And so the show would start then with Marcus showing up to the business and, you know, asking questions of the owners and even of the different employees that are there. He'll begin investigating what the culture is like and what they're doing in order to meet the needs of customers. And if he is interested in them, well, then he'll sit down with them over a lunch or over a dinner. He'll already have written out a check. And he'll say, well, I want to be partners with you in this business, you know, at 25%, and here's what I'm going to pay for it. And it's a one-time offer. And he'll also say this to the person on the other side of the table. Say, if you take my check, realize that I'm in charge, he'd say. doesn't matter if he only owns 25% of the company. He's running the show. And if they take the check, well, then they become partners in this business in order to make that place healthy again and help it to thrive. Well, we're all aware of partnerships. We've experienced this here in America, different kind of partnerships in business, of course, we have partnerships in marriage. Uh, we see that uh, every day, the beauty of marriage. And then Paul began talking about another form of partnership a couple of weeks ago, a partnership that we as Christians share in the gospel. The koinonia is the Greek word, that we love each other at, our, at the deepest level. We're committed to one another, and so that we collectively, as partners together, can advance the gospel so that more people can come to saving faith. That's the partnership we are in together. But then now Paul, he, he kind of talks now about a different kind of partnership. And in this kind of partnership we talk about today, we are then partners with God. He has a work. We have a work. We're partners together in order to further our very salvation. And that's where we find ourselves today in chapter 2 of Philippians, starting at verse 12. And Paul begins this section by saying this. He says, Therefore... My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my absence, but now much more in my absence. Let me read again. Therefore, my dear friends, look at the therefore, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now, the first thing we got to do is we have to ask ourselves what the therefore is there for. I mean, it's pointing back to something. And Paul is talking about what we spoke about last week. The idea of the, you know, chasing after, embracing the humility of Jesus Christ. 
And so what he's saying is because you have acknowledged who Jesus is, because you bowed down before him, because you have confessed him as Savior and Lord, the natural outflow has been that you have always obeyed no matter what. Always. Not sometimes, not mostly, but always. And it should cause us to kind of reflect. I mean, is Jesus our Lord? Is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? And as a result of him then being Lord, if he is, doesn't mean we've always obeyed God. In every facet of our lives, always. It's a huge statement. See, Paul is pointing to a progression here that lordship leads to obedience, and obedience leads to integrity in terms of how we live our lives. And integrity then leads to what? Integrity leads to a lifestyle where you work out your salvation. You work out your salvation. Well, this phrase has been misunderstood by many over time, what it means to work out our salvation. But in a different way, we're accustomed to this language, right? I mean, every single day, we're accustomed to people working the room, you know, working out the 12 steps, working out their marriage, working out the bugs in something, you know, working the same muscles, working the farm or working the mine. And anyone who works any one of these things has a desired outcome in mind. For example, somebody who works the room desires to make business connections that will profit them. Somebody who works the 12 steps desires sobriety and health in their life. Somebody who works out their marriage desires love and, of course, peace in their relationship. Somebody who works the bugs out desires for things to run effectively. That's what they want. Somebody who works out the same muscles desires to have a body that looks somewhat like mine, right? I mean, that's kind of what they're looking for. I mean, underneath this untucked shirt, I'll tell you what, can't go there, but I'll tell you what, something else. And then, of course, somebody who works the farm, well, they desire to have crops that produce food for their family, right? Even a profit for them. And somebody who works the mine, well, they desire to acquire all kinds of coal and ore that's available there. Here, Paul says, we are to work as well. We are to work out our salvation. And in the Greek... It carries with it the idea that we work to full completion. We work to full completion, which requires that you and I then have a faithful determination to listen to and follow God's will at every step along our journey in our life. And yet I think when it comes to working out our salvation, many Christians kind of focus on their salvation like the the past owners to our home did. I mean, if you were to go to our home even a year ago, we bought this home in Loveland for a pretty good price because they did not work anything out to full completion. Uh, these people, they dabbled in this, dabbled in that. They had, oh, this is a good idea. So they started on this and then they didn't finish it and they started focusing over here. And so they were just kind of all over the place, never finishing anything, but always dabbling in something. For example, if you went to our house today, you could see that, oh man, the front, the trim is all white. The sides, well, they're kind of brownish. And then in the back, the whole back of the house, half of it, maybe 40% is white, 60% is brown. They just kind of said, I don't know, we'll just come back to this someday. And they never finished it. And that's how the whole house was. We've been working on this ever since. This is kind of sloppy living, right? And Paul's saying, don't live like that. No, work out your salvation. Take a hold of every opportunity you've got in front of you to work out your own salvation. But let's be honest, the very phrase itself raises some questions. It's been confusing for people over time. The first question would be this. Does working out my salvation mean I I need to work for my salvation or to acquire my salvation? That if I do enough good things, if I work hard enough, then hopefully I'll be saved. 
I went to a service this past week in an area place here, and that's what they were focusing on. If you do all these things right, hopefully you'll be saved. Is this what Paul's talking about here? Well, no, no, no. He writes to the Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by your works, so that no one can boast. So the idea here, if it were possible for you and I to work for our salvation, to do enough good things and work hard enough to achieve our salvation, well, then we'd have bragging rights. And we'd brag that we somehow achieved something that you weren't good enough to get. No, salvation is a gift that God gives and he offers to us. Will we open it? Will we receive his forgiveness and ask for it in our lives? That's up to us to, to answer. But it is a gift that God gives to us. It's his work, not ours. Well, then the second question is this. Does this mean then if I work out my salvation that it's up to me to maintain my salvation? That if I've got to focus it, it's all by myself. I've got to do this to make sure I'm focusing on the right things and maintaining my salvation so it doesn't corrode over time or something. Well, Paul wrote this earlier. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. He said, he, meaning God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, once he saves us, God is always at work to finish what he started in us. But it's not all him, and it's not all us. You see, we work in partnership with God together. He desires to, to complete what he started in us, but we have to respond. Because we are in partnership with one another. Remember, working on our salvation means that we have a faithful determination to listen to and to follow God's will at every step along the way so that ultimately you and I will look just like Jesus. That's the goal. But the reality is we don't have to do this, right? We don't have to work out our salvation. We can kind of settle back. Got to rest in that prayer we prayed 10 years ago where we asked God to forgive us and we knew at that point we're going to go to heaven when we die. We could just kind of settle in, right? We don't have to work out our salvation. Isn't that good enough? Just kind of float in terms of what we already have. Rest in that. Well, think about it this way. Somebody who chooses not to work the room won't make the business connections they need to really be successful. Somebody who chooses not to work out the 12 steps will rob their life and they'll engage in drunkenness. Somebody who chooses not to work out their marriage will live in loneliness and desperation. They'll live, but they'll be lonely. Somebody who chooses not to work the bugs out will live in ongoing frustration because nothing seems to work right. Someone who chooses not to work out their muscles, of course, will become flabby, out of shape. Somebody who chooses not to work the farm will be overtaken with weeds and starvation. And somebody who chooses not to work the mine will come up empty with nothing to show for all of their time down there. You see, Paul knew our tendency for laziness. He knew that we'd rather soak in our salvation rather than work out our salvation. And that's why he wrote a few more words here that answers the question, how do we work out our salvation? What does that look like? And here's what he wrote. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word continue is important. It's like you, you do it every day. You do it every moment. It's something you continue to do to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that sounds scary, doesn't it? I mean, I thought I was God's child and he was my father, but now I'm supposed to tremble and be in fear before him. I mean, what does that mean? I spoke on this about 10 years ago at my last church in Lansing. And, and after the message, this man comes up and he was shaking because he was so angry with me. 
I mean, he was angry. He accused me of misleading the church. I needed to go back in front of the church and apologize for what I said because he knew what it was to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what I said was completely false. And then he wanted to meet me for lunch that week in order to set me straight some more. So I gladly showed up for more of this. And uh, we sat down and I listened to him. And it was very clear that for him, the Christian life is a life filled with fear. The Christian life is a, is a life of terror, of torment. You see, what he's saying, and what he was saying to me is this, that, that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which means you're always afraid. You're always filled with fear that the, something you might have said, something you might have thought, something that you might have done was the thing that suddenly lost your salvation for you and suddenly God does not know your name any longer. You are not his child. He's turned his back on you. And so this fear and this trembling, this serves to motivate you, he was telling me, in order to do the right things so that hopefully when you stand before God, he'll know you as his child. So without this fear to motivate you, you never know. He's talking about losing your salvation. Is this what Paul's talking about? To work out our salvation with that kind of fear? I'd say absolutely not. Look at what he wrote to the Romans. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, friends, once... God forgives us. Once he adopts us as his son or his daughter, we are his. The Holy Spirit seals that salvation and we are his. There is nothing that can separate us from him. And even so, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, Paul's not talking about losing your salvation here, but rather he was referring to some Old Testament terms, some words that were rooted in Scripture. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 111, for example, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the Hebrew, to fear God meant to have a high respect for God, that you highly respected him. You so respected him that you would want to please him is what we're getting at here. But it's not the totality of what this term means to fear the Lord because the idea is if we could just define what respect looked like and it would mean that you had your own definition of what it meant to respect God. I would have my own definition for what it meant to respect God. It might look different for you than it looks for me. And yet, what does it look like to him? After all, he's God. And so this respect that we have for God is rooted in what God has to say about how he wants to get respected. And that's found in his word. And so, friends, the fear of the Lord or fearing the Lord means obeying God's word. It starts right there. It's the foundation. In fact, it's why Paul began this section when he said, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have obeyed, you've obeyed because you have feared the Lord. So fearing the Lord equals obeying God's word. And trembling before the Lord means fear of dishonoring the Lord. I think you know what that's like. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I feared dishonoring my father. I did not want to dishonor him or my mom in any way. I didn't. And even though I, I, I would mess up now and again, right? We all did that. And when I messed up, when I did not honor him as I should, I never feared what my father would do to me. I didn't fear he was going to turn his back on me, not know my name any longer, lock me out of the house and, and kick me out of the family forever. No, I never feared what he would do to me. I feared dishonoring him. That's that deep respect again. 
that Paul's writing about. See, I think what Paul's getting at is this, that we work out our salvation by obeying God's word so fervently that it's impossible to dishonor the Lord in any way. We work out our salvation by obeying God's word so fervently it's impossible to dishonor the Lord in any way. So how are we doing at that? Maybe not as good as we would like. Maybe not as well as he would like, right? And in the face of that, Paul offers us hope. He tells us it's possible for us to work out our salvation, he writes in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Hope you notice something here. It's God who works in you. So we are to work out our salvation and God works in things into our lives. So he has a work, we have a work. Our work, according to the Greek, is to work to full completion. God's work, according to the Greek, is this, to energize us. To energize us, give us all the energy we need to will and to act according to his good purpose. Put it all together, we work out what God works in. We work out what God first works into our lives. We are in partnership with God. And just like Marcus Lemonis on the prophet, God is always in charge. So then what does it look like to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose? Well, Paul then lays out three kind of outcomes of this. And the first, he writes in verse 14, he says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And what is this based on? That's the outcome. But what, what is God working in? Well, if you remember, we looked last week at Christ's humility. And this is what it's based on. He's saying that as we seek Christ's humility in our lives, it means we're going to make ourselves nothing. It means we're going to be servants to the people around us. It means we're going to lay it all on the line. And so it's only when someone, it's only when a Christian, of course, has true humility in their lives that the outcome will be that they'll do everything. Not some things or most things, but everything without grumbling or arguing. So the first lesson is this. We're transformed through partnership. When God works in humility, as we work out selflessness. We're transformed through humility as God works in humility as we work out selflessness. If we're not responding to God's work in our lives, well, then we're going to grumble. We're going to argue. And that comes from our pride, you see. Pride gets in the way of our relationships with one another. Basically, because we have pride, we don't have humility, we want more. We want to win. And it leads to selfishness in our lives, not selflessness. And when we don't have selflessness present in our lives, then we rationalize our need to grumble. And why do we grumble? Well, because I don't like where I'm at right now. I don't like how I got here. I didn't ask to be here. This was somebody else's agenda, not mine. I'm grumbling. So I grumble to myself. I grumble to God. I grumble to anyone else who will listen. I grumble because I don't like it. It's not where I want to be because it's all about me, right? It's like the time my wife, Carol, when our kids were younger, she wanted us on Thanksgiving to serve at the mission. Now, we served at the mission every month as a family together. So it wasn't that we didn't serve. We served on a regular basis. But she wanted to serve on Thanksgiving. And for me, I looked at Thanksgiving. I'm like, Thanksgiving is about our family. It's about being together with our family. I mean, certainly there'll be other people who would serve them because we're going to focus on our family. She says, no, this is good for us. We need to put others first on Thanksgiving and truly be thankful. And I knew she was right, but I didn't really want to do it. And so we drove there on that Thanksgiving, you know, to serve at the mission on Thanksgiving. And on the way, I'm just kind of, uh, 
I'm grumbling. I don't want to do it. And we show up and we're all given our assignments. And the assignment that I was given was to watch the larger room. There were two large rooms filled with people who were coming in off the street to receive their Thanksgiving dinner. And my job wasn't to serve them the food or the drinks. No, my job was kind of like be the, the bouncer, right? I'm the one who's supposed to maintain order in the room to make sure that everyone acts as they should. And if they don't, then I'm supposed to be the one to deal with them and put them back out on the street if necessary. I did not sign up for this. And of course, I'm grumbling more. I don't want this job. I want the safe job, the job, you know, behind the counter where you're giving them the beans. I don't want to be out there where it's downright dangerous, right? So now we're halfway through the meal. And once you know it, Suddenly the trays start flying. Food is going across the room. We got people punching each other. We got a fight breaking out. I get in the middle of this whole thing trying to, you know, calm everyone down, you know, because I'm so fit and, you know, my body is so muscular. And so now I'm trying to get in the middle of all this. And in the middle of all this mess, my grumble meter went through the roof. I started grumbling because I wanted my turkey. I didn't want to deal with those turkeys. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there? I didn't ask for this. So I grumble because it's all about me. And then I argue as well because I want to win. And it doesn't matter what you say. Even if you're right, I'm going to keep arguing. And eventually you'll just give up so that I can win. And Paul's saying this, as God works humility into our lives, the outcome, what we work out then is selflessness. And selflessness seeks not to win. It seeks not to control. It puts others first. As the brother of Jesus wrote, he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Somebody who's selfless, God shows favor to. I know we all want God's favor. See, God works in humility as we work out selflessness. And then Paul tells us why we embrace selflessness. What's next? He says, so that you may become blameless and pure. Now, Is it up to me? Can I make myself pure? Can I make myself blameless? No, this is going to have to be God's work in me to do this because left to myself, I'm going to seek my own way, right? Because pride infests us all. So he writes, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then the outflow, this is what it means for us, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So shining like stars has everything to do with holding firmly to the word of life. That's the outcome. So Paul first taught us we're transformed through partnership when God works in humility as we work out selflessness. And now he teaches us God works in purity as we work out maturity. Maturity to shine like stars. But it all starts with this purity that God works in. We talked about purity before. Uh, There's different definitions. One is this, and I like it. A testing that takes place under the light of the sun. The idea that God's light shines so brightly on our lives that it exposes everything. Everything that's beautiful, everything that's wonderful, but also exposes everything that's hidden. Everything that is kind of like junk, that's a mess in our lives. And it exposes everything so that God through his patient work in our lives, can rid ourselves of this. He can get rid of these things so that we can become more and more pure before him. And so he works in purity. And the result of this purity in our lives, that's God's 
basically mostly God's work. We then shine like stars as the outcome as we hold firmly to the word of life. Now, hold firmly in the Greek has some different meanings. I like this one. I want you to imagine you have, a, you have your, your, your table all set. And you're going to have people over for a meal. And when they come over, you're not just going to offer them water. No, 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 that won't do. You're going to offer them your best wine. And then after they have one glass of wine, you're going to offer them another one. Because why? You are there to celebrate. You're there to celebrate. Paul is describing here a condition by which the Christian's life is so rooted in purity that he or she fully celebrates the word of life and lifts it up high. It's a high value, something that we celebrate, God's word. And yet I think, if we're honest and if studies are right, for many Christians across our country, I don't know that we hold up God's word that high. I don't know that we do. In fact, for some of us, I think we're more like Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers. And if you've read anything about him, he esteemed the Bible, but he didn't like certain parts of the Bible. And so what he did, this is before we had computers and all that, he took out kind of a knife and he cut out the various sections of the Bible that he didn't like and maintained the others. And he viewed this as the most reliable version of the Bible that you could find because it's a Bible that really kind of submits itself to us rather than we submitting ourselves to it. You can look at this. It's in the Smithsonian Institute today, his Bible. We may not cut out various parts of the Bible, but here's the deal. We focus on the parts that we like, and we don't focus on the parts that would really do us good sometimes. We need to embrace the totality of God's word and hold it high. And how highly we and how firmly we hold to God's word, his word of life, will really determine how brightly we shine. There's a clip from a movie called Night and Day. This is very short. Just want to give you an idea of what we're talking about here. Take a look. Just so you understand, right now, out there on your own, your life expectancy is like here. With me, it's here. Without me, here. With me, without me. With me, without me. I think God's saying to us, you know, are you with me? Are you trying to do life, this Christian life, really without me? With me, you're really going to have success. Without me, not so much. If you hold God's word up high, my word up high, well, then you're going to shine like stars. You hold my word up high, well, then you're going to be humble and selfless. But if you don't hold my word up high, well, then you're going to mostly serve yourself. You're not going to shine all that brightly. Are you with me? You're trying to do this thing without me. Where are you on this continuum? Where are you? Because truly, purity... Purity, if we're holding God's word up high and we're saying, God, I want to respect you, I want to fear you, I want your work in my life, well, then we're going to shine. Because purity always shines. Anything that's pure stands out from everything else. It always shines. Jesus did. That's why he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so armed with this light of life, his own disciples would eventually come to reflect that light themselves. Which is why he said this to them and to us. He says, you now are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so from the purity of God's word, we are able to shine like stars, not for our own benefit, but ultimately to glorify God and point others to him. And so then Paul continues, he says, and then... I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Now, let's stop right there. I just want to ask you, 
Paul's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. So where is he running? He can't run very far. How is he laboring? What is he talking about here? We'll get back to that. But he's he's not going to run or labor in vain. We'll talk about what that means. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service, important, coming from your faith, this is the result, service, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul taught us we're transformed through partnership when God works in humility as we work out selflessness. And as God works in purity as we work out maturity to shine like stars. And now he says... We're transformed through partnership when God works in submission as we work out service. Submission. You see, Paul's talking about the fact that he's not going to run or labor in vain. What he's really referring to is that he is their teacher. He's writing to the Philippian church. He is their teacher. He is their mentor. You might even say he was their rabbi in Jewish terms. And so he is teaching them. God is teaching through Paul this church. They then are his students. They are to learn. He is the teacher. And as they learn, they are to submit to what they are learning. And Paul knows that they're submitting to what they're learning because he's hearing about their service. It's a natural outflow. That's why he says that his teaching is not going to be in vain because his life as a teacher is like, like a priest in the Old Testament pouring out wine on the sacrifice as a sign of joy and celebration. Paul is celebrating because as he teaches, they are submitting. And as they're submitting, they are serving because submission always leads to service. That's what Paul's saying. I remember my first job when I came out of college, and I, I landed my first full-time job in the church, and I was so excited. And then it, it, it dawned on me, it didn't take me very long to realize that my boss that I worked for had a, an integrity problem. With his words, with his actions, I was surprised that people didn't see it, but I did. Eventually, he lost his job because things just got so bad. Uh, He went unchecked. Uh, But during that period, he's my boss. And I'll tell you what, I didn't want to submit to him. I didn't see why I should. He was a Christian, but he just had some integrity things. And I didn't see why I should submit to him. Because I could see so clearly what other people couldn't see. A little bit prideful, arrogant. I'm young, kind of cocky. So I remember sitting on the back deck of my home. And I was sitting with a man named Gary. Next week, I'm going to talk about the two Garys in my life. The two fathers that God gave me to build into my life. And I'm on the back deck with one of them. And I'm telling he's a business guy. He's highly successful. And I'm telling him about my boss and why I don't want to submit to him. And he looked at me and he said, Phil, you are missing out on what God is trying to teach you through him. God has positioned him there for some reason. And God is trying to teach you something, probably humility, but he's trying to teach you something through him. And you're not hearing. You're not hearing because you got this wall up. So you're not going to submit. And then he looked at me and he said this, and I'll never forget it. Submit or quit. Submit or quit. So I started submitting to this man. And I'll tell you what, the outflow of my life became something I could never have imagined. The, The ministry that poured out of my life was something I had never foreseen. As I submitted, the more I submitted, the more ministry poured out of my life, the more impact I was able to make. Submission leads to service. See, high view of God's word, well then, you're going to be humble. You're going to be selfless. Low view of God's word, you're mostly going to serve yourself. 
High view of God's word would mean you're going to shine like stars. Low view of God's word, well, you're not not really going to shine at all. High view of God's word and submitting to him and respecting God and fearing him, well, then you're going to submit. And submission is going to lead to service. Low view of God's word means I'm not really going to serve much at all. And as the American church at large, all across our country, are, are we known as Christians who serve? Or are we known as Christians who come to church? What would the world say? We are to be known for our service. And it all starts with our submission to God's word, who he's put over us. And so I think Paul's trying to let us know that we are transformed through partnership. When we work out what God first works in. We're transformed through partnership when we work out what God works in. God works in humility as we work out selflessness. God works in purity as we work out maturity to shine like stars. And God works in submission as we work out service. You see, we're in partnership with each other. We have a work. God has a work. We work out what God works in. And in this partnership, God is always in charge. Let me ask you just to close your eyes right now. I just want us all to get honest with God right now in terms of our partnership with God. And right now, be honest with God about how you've been treating his word, the Bible. When's the last time you read it? When's the last time you took it in? When's the last time you spent time praying over something God showed you in the Bible? And if it hasn't been real recently, just come before God and say, God, forgive me. I know that you love me, but I haven't been reading your love letter to me. Forgive me. God, help me to grow. Birth in me all of these things that so out of me can flow selflessness, but out of me can flow service. Out of me will flow light that people see and that people are drawn to and ultimately are drawn to you. Help me to be partners with you, God. Help me not to be walking this Christian walk where you're kind of doing all the work and I'm getting all the benefit. Help me to respond to your work in me and through me so that out of my life flow beauty and maturity. And pray to him, God, in this partnership you've offered to me, Help me to always submit. Help me to always make you Lord. Help me, Lord, to seek your way. Your way every single time, not mine. Your way. So, Lord, when people see me, they see you. When, Father, you see me, you see your Son. I want it your way, not mine my prayer. Maybe so.